0: Boom, welcome everybody to another episode of Real Drug Talk. My name is Jack Nagel um, and on the Real Drug Talk podcast, we talk about all things alcohol and drugs. Um, so addictions, recovery, personal stories, family stories, public health policy, professional interviews, people that are doing interesting thing in, things in the space, controversial characters, everything to do with alcohol and drugs, the latest science, all that sort of stuff. Um, So that's what we do here if you're a first-time listener Um, and today I'm excited because we've got a pretty cool show with someone that I know pretty well and uh, that I've actually interviewed before. Uh, His name is John Shaw Uh, and I find his story very, very inspiring because it's really different to mine and he was actually in hardcore addiction for 33 years. He kind of believes different things to me. Um, Some things the same as well but a lot different, um, has had different experiences but it's just a great story of being kind of at your lowest lows and, you know, um, at 47, I think he said he, he managed to turn his life around. So it just, it's inspiring to me. Um, great story, great podcast, excited to give you guys a listen and, and pull back the covers again of what happens with recovery and, and what people go through and all that sort of stuff. So I hope you enjoy that show today. Um, before we jump into the episode, as always... If you or a loved one is struggling with any form of, re- of addiction and you just need some help, you need some advice, you need a pointer in the right direction, we run a treatment program called Connection-Based Living where we actually show people how to get recovery without going to rehab. Um, and if we can't help you directly or you're not suitable, we'll definitely link you in with our networks um, and point you in the right direction. So if anyone... Um, wants to reach out and get help for anything like that www.connectionbasedliving.com.au that's www.connectionbasedliving.com.au and you can reach out through there and we're happy to help um so into the show three two one boom welcome everyone to another episode of real drug talk um My name's Jack Nagel and on this show, um, just for anyone that hasn't listened before, the listens are going up, John. The listens are going up, which is exciting. So for anyone that hasn't listened before, we talk about all things drugs and alcohol, lots of um, personal recovery stories, lots of professionals that are doing interesting (laughs) things in the space, um, as well as anyone else with interesting ideas and um, thoughts around drugs and alcohol. Um, that's what we talk about on this show. Um, so our guest today is uh, Johnny Shaw. Oh, can I say your last name? I just did. Yeah,
1: a bit late. Yeah, no, nah, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good.
0: Um, now I've done many interviews with John before, actually, and I wanted to get him on because someone else cancelled on me, and I was meaning to get in contact with John and, and have him on. But I've never done an interview with you. Through this platform over the podcast, which I'm excited about because there's no ad breaks, there'll be no interruptions. We can just kind of go from start to finish a little bit. Um, but how are you, mate? You good?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm not too bad today. I've been—I don't know if you know—I went through a bit of a rough patch recently, but um, yeah, I'm coming out the other end of it now, so I'm feeling good.
0: Yeah, and we might talk about that because I think that if you feel comfortable, that is, yeah. um, because I think that's interesting. Um, as a part of recovery, just the different things that happen because, you know, like uh, I know for me, when I started to kind of get clean and sober and into recovery, I thought that I would be fighting rainbows the whole time um, mm-hmm. and things would be all good. And things are a 300 times better than they were, but there is shit that happens and goes on. And I don't think we can kind of talk, we don't talk about it enough, really, do we?
1: uh well i share it when i when i talk to my peers you know and um hmm. but, yeah basically a lot of people keep it to themselves and just think oh i'll struggle through this but my experience has shown is it's best that i talk about it and that way it sort of loses power over me
2: yeah
0: 100 percent, 100 percent. now i've heard your story a couple of times so sorry if you feel a bit repetitive um That's right. but it is a good story so um Give us the give us the five ten minute snapshot of you and and what brought you to kind of recovery.
1: Okay, um, five ten minutes. All right. Well, I used for over thirty three years or just over thirty three years. Wow. Is, <laughs> in itself, is a pretty daunting thing. Yeah. Um, I started using first drug I used was alcohol, and that yep. was um, because when I was in Prime school, sure, I used to be bullied a lot, and then I joined a gang, and you know, to get um, some sort of acceptance in my life, and. Yeah. Um, started drinking alcohol and you know that was um served a purpose back then because it brought me out of my shell so to speak it became really loud um become obnoxious i became violent on alcohol i'm a violent person yeah um, but that suited the scene and i did that for a while then um i went from trying to be i tried to be a jockey but that didn't work out either because i was doing drugs all the time and, <laughs> now but, um, because
0: of because of the covid situation we're not in person for this interview but so the camera can't see your whole your whole body, but you're four foot fuck all, aren't you?
1: Uh, I'm five foot three and yep. I weigh a bit more than I used to back in the day, but uh, I've, I've always been very skinny. Yeah. Uh, I've got a bit of a COVID gut on me at the moment. Yeah. But, um, well, I still only weigh 63 kilos. Wow. So, and that's yeah. with, with, with weight put on. But um, I went through life trying to find a job that would suit my my purpose and I didn't really get many jobs. Um, yeah. So I survived on Centrelink and um, dealing drones and all that sort of thing. I also ended up in jail a number of times due to my criminal activity because mm-hmm. I was breaking into homes, stealing cars, all that sort of stuff to make money. Um, my son was born when I was 30 years old and I was in jail. Wow. And um, I truly believe my son would change my life Like when I was in jail. I wanted to be one of those dads that got out and, you know, spent time with my son, watched my son grow up, play footy, all that sort of stuff. Um, so I didn't commit any more crime, so to speak. Well, or not, not major crime anyhow, but I decided to deal drugs in a big way. That didn't work out too well because um, my son's mother was a full-blown drug addict like myself. Um, you t- put two drug addicts in the house and drug dealing and all that entails, naturally things explode and that happened. And um, she left me for another man when he was a year and a half old. Mm. My son was a year and a half old. Then uh, when my son got to be five years of age, um she decided she couldn't deal with life anymore and she committed suicide. Wow. So um, I did what uh, what I thought was the best thing to took full custody of my son. Uh, and I truly believe my son in my care would change my ways. Like I didn't want to be a drug addict anymore. I like I hated using drugs,
2: mm.
1: but I just couldn't stop. And uh Within two years of um, that happening, my son had been homeless multiple times, moved schools, moved locations, because I just couldn't function in life, basically with drug addiction. Yeah. Uh, when he got to be seven years of age, I'm sorry for the first time in my life, I'm going to do something about my drug addiction. I was out of control really, really badly. And I went and sought help, went into a seven-day detox, um, came out of that detox after seven days, and I was never going to use again. Like, that's it, I'm done. I made a promise to my son that I'd never use drugs again. Uh, Mm. He was fully aware of my drug use. And um, two days later, I was back using drugs. And it wasn't just a little bit. It was like full on back to full-blown addiction again. Wow. Uh, And I never understood that. I never understood why I did that. Like, I I couldn't believe I did it again because I felt so ashamed of myself. The whole thing went back to where it was. Um, Cut a long story short. For the next 10 years, I went in out of detoxes, detoxes, Tried pharma therapy, psychotherapy. Tried moving to Queensland, New South Wales, just to get away from my friends. Um, but everywhere I went, drugs seemed to you know be a part of my life still. Uh, and also in that 10 years, you know, my son grew up and he got to be um, 15 years of age. And um, when he got to be 15, he came into my room and I was using it in that moment. Yeah. And he said, Dad, I'm leaving home. And I said, "Why? what's going on? I couldn't understand why I'd want to leave home. I thought he had a good... And uh, he said, Dad, I've lost all respect for you. I don't want to, don't want to see you ever again. Wow. And uh, that didn't even have an impact on me because I was off my head at the time. I said, just see you later, mate. Just stay in touch. And mm. that was it. He was gone. And uh, three days later, it hit me really hard. Uh, and it wasn't what he said that hit me. It was the fact that it took me three days to realize he actually didn't want to be in my life anymore. Mm. Um, so I upped the ante and I had many times to look back in hindsight and see all these times when um, – you know, emotional upheaval happened and I just simply had to use more drugs. You know, this is one of those times where I just had to use more. So I switched it up a bit and I used some other drugs that, uh, and I used to class myself as a professional drug addict, um, <laughs> which means any time a new drug come on the market, I had to try it. You know, I had to be part of the new scene. So I switched it up for eight months and then um, at the end of that eight months, I just wanted to kill myself. And I tried suicide multiple mm. times before um, and obviously, I wasn't. I uh, wasn't successful. I wouldn't be here otherwise. But I know something inside me said, "Let's give recovery one more shot." So I went back into a detox. Uh, I came out, um, and my mobile phone switched on, and no one wanted to know me. Everyone wanted to kill me and hate me, and you know, when I got all these messages on my phone. But uh, you know, I, I'd been to a a program uh, many years earlier, ten years earlier. And that came into my life, that sort of lifestyle come back to play. And yeah, I went yeah. there and uh, I've been clean ever since. And I've been clean wow. now for eight years, nine months and 13 days. Wow. And uh, I've got a maximum support base around me now. I've got a really good support base. Uh, my son is back in my life in a major, major way. Mm-hmm. Um, that took nine months in recovery before he'd speak to me again. Mm. Uh, and one of the first things he said to me, said, Dad, don't be offended, but I'm waiting for your relapse. And mm, I got that. Well. I understood that. Um, I own my own car today. I don't steal cars anymore. I own my own car. It's a really nice car. <laughs> um, and I've had three cars while I've been in recovery. And they seem to just get better and better, the cars. Now I've got a really, really nice car. Uh, and I work for a company that is, uh, does prevention of this yep. sort of stuff. Uh, I talk to big companies. Um, you know, I'm in front of 20, 30 people who are some of the executive people with all these conditions. And they actually appreciate me talking to them today, like, yeah. I have a purpose in my life today, um, but like we mentioned just earlier at the beginning, I still have tough times. Mm. You know, just recently I had a mental breakdown. Mm. You know, uh, but I get through it today without drugs. And that's yeah. amazing.
0: So, so interesting, and this is why I wanted to talk to you, Johnny, and and have the long form interview with you on the podcast because, you know, um, I think the thing that I've learned. <gasps> And sorry, everyone, my dog may go off in the background there and I may have to pause this to restart it again. But the the thing that I have learned about, um, yeah, recovery and addiction and all that sort of stuff is that uh, everybody has a different story and there's actually a purpose to everybody having a different story, you know, um, because you never know like who's going to connect with who and and what different things can impact people. And for me, you know, hearing people like talk about your, like hearing you talk about your story, even though my kind of recovery story in terms of getting sober and turning things around, I was a lot younger. When I hear your story, like 33 years of addiction, I just think fucking hell. Like how did he do that? You know what I mean? Mine was like, five or some five to seven years you know and that was hard as shit <laughs> when i got to the end and I, and then it was so much pain and then i just think about 33 years and i just think wow you know
1: yeah well, and, and like you said i think everyone has their own story and now uh, i look back at my life now and it's um it's actually a miracle i'm still alive you know mm. there's so many times i either wanted to, i actually tried suicide or that you know drugs didn't kill me i remember this saying it's really good saying it said um i died every day but the drugs wouldn't bury me yeah that's basically how it was for me for a long time
0: that is a good saying yeah so can i ask yeah i think you might have said it when you were when you were telling your story but so what age did you actually get into recovery at like Uh, 47 47 right so what's it just there's so much that i want to touch on with you there but Know again the reason why I wanted to get you on is because I speak to people still every day about this stuff, and yeah, I will talk to people that are in their 50s or 47 or older, like whatever it is, right? And they they kind of think it's too late, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, what was your mindset when you got to that point, and how were you thinking? And yeah, like what's going through your head? Um, well,
1: what was going through my head was I just want to die, I actually wanted to commit suicide, yeah. Um But I think that deep down, that's why I talk to people about, even though my head's telling me that and that's how I feel, um, the reality of the truth is internally no one wants to die. I don't believe anybody truly wants to commit suicide, Um, but they're lost inside their own mind and they're trapped in that sort of cycle of my life is shit, I can't cope anymore and that's how it happens. Um, I always relate to that movie 127 Hours where the guy's stuck on the rock in the Arizona desert and cuts his own arm off. Yeah. To me, that's, the true essence of the human spirit, which is survival, through all sorts of adversity. Um, So I don't know, um, I look back and I think I made a conscious decision to get clean, but I actually don't think it was really that conscious at all because my conscious mind was saying, look, I can't do this anymore. It's come from a different level within myself that got me back into recovery one more time. Mm, mm, Interesting, interesting.
0: And, you know, like just kind of take us through like, what was the hardest part of it all? Was it Oof. the detox? Was it dealing with all the stuff that, you know, you talked about briefly, like with your son and having to face yeah. that? Like what what was it?
1: Um, probably the first few months. Yeah. Probably the hardest. Uh, I had a bit of a, a like call a pink cloud moment where it was, you know, everything is fantastic and I felt good about myself. Mm-hmm. But the hard stuff was re-talking to my son and, um, just going through the early days and, you know, doing what I had to do. Um, mm. and for the first three months of my recovery, I actually went back and lived with my dealer. Mm. Um, so I was living in a drug house for the first three months of my recovery. So that was pretty difficult. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was doing what I needed to do and I was speaking to the people I needed to speak to. And, uh, you know, I, don't, I, I look back on now on my story, especially the first three months and I, I don't know how I made it through. I really don't. Mm. Um, I'd have to put it down as some divine intervention or something so it subconsciously got me through those first three months, particularly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so talk us through as well, like what's worked for you in your recovery? You know, in this show, we want to we've talked to all different kinds of people that have done rehab, haven't done rehab, done 12 step, haven't done 12 step taken other drugs to get off drugs, haven't gone cold turkey altogether? Like, what was your
1: process in this whole thing? Uh, I went through a 12-step process. Yeah. And the only reason I did that, looking back, is because I tried everything else. (laughs) Yeah. I I had done, um, like I said in my story, like psychotherapy, pharma therapy, you know, switching one drug for a chemical reaction. You know, I've been to Queensland, New South Wales, just trying to change my entire life. Um, mm. And for the last 10 years my using i did not want to use you yep. know in that last 10 years i tried every method i even tried acupuncture mm. you know i was everything um to get off drugs and I couldn't.
0: Ex- explain that because that's a weird phenomenon i can't say that word but that's a weird thing about addiction is that, that i think a lot of people don't get you don't actually want to be doing what you're doing but you just like it's kind of like your body's just dragging you along
1: <laughs> yeah well that's um I realize now addiction is a, is a mental health disorder, mm-hmm. you know, because if it was just a, a choosing thing, if people chose to be addicts, then I would have stopped 10 years earlier. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it goes, it takes away your freedom of choice, really. And there's something inside you that, and um, the best thing I can help people with is anyone who drinks coffee in the morning
2: mm.
1: uh, and is a regular drink of coffee for multiple years will understand the fact that when they wake up in the morning, the first thing they do is they think about having a coffee and they have a coffee without even thinking about it, really.
2: Mm.
1: They just get up and make themselves a cup of coffee because it's something they've done every day of their
2: life.
1: Mm. Addiction is very much the same. Naturally, it's more intense, the Mm. feelings, the emotion, and the impact is so much more damaging. But anyone who drinks coffee could probably understand the mentality of that. Mm. I speak to people about who've drank coffee for a long time, and I say, how do you feel if you don't drink, if you don't get coffee in the morning? Mm. And I hear, you know, I feel agitated, I feel a little bit off center, you know. Mm. Uh, and that's very much the same for for an addict. It, it's a mental state of mind. Um the the choice not to use has been taken away.
2: Mm. You
1: know, I mean, and and when I stopped using drugs, it became the worst thing ever. Mm.
2: Mm.
0: so that's interesting right because i've spoken to you before and um you know it's a good conversation to have because so many people listening to this are wondering you know is it a disease is it a genetic thing and then you said something interesting you know it's a mental health condition yeah. you know that, that's really interesting like how did you come how did you come to that is it because of what you're just explaining or is um, it
1: well i didn't believe it at first Mm. um look, this program i go to talks about that sort of stuff mm. and they look upon it as a disease and treat it as a disease but i actually didn't believe that mm. um, when i first got in recovery so i did a bit of research mm. and i found out the australian medical association recognizes it as a chronic brain disorder
0: yep
1: uh, even in australia they recognise, and around the world it's recognized as a disease from uh, most of the medical fraternities that are mm. and these are people who doctors and stuff who researched it for multiple, multiple, multiple years. Um, And also 12-step fellowship talks about that same thing. So look, look, in my own personal thing, whether it is or it isn't, uh, for me personally is irrelevant. Mm. If I treat it as a disease and I found a treatment that works, then I'm happy with that.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, if I thought it was a choice thing, well, then why didn't I stop 10 years earlier? You know and i've seen many people who have been clean for long periods of time and relapse you know now why would they choose that you know i think the choice is taken away Lord, by the mental twist in your mind and that you know what happens in life i mean there's been many times in my recovery where i could have easily picked up a drug and justified it
2: mm.
1: you know but um I have to come from a different place. You know, I can't come from my thinking. My thinking will say, I can't cope, I can't do this. Um, and it'd be very easy to pick up a drug thinking, oh, I can't do this. like I said, I just had a mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would be very easy to say, oh, I can't do this. I can go and pick up a drug. Mm-hmm. Then it would be my choice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I chose to go back. But um, for me, there's just no, no way I can do that. Because I know once I do that, I lose all, all control of my senses.
0: Interesting. So I want to talk to you a bit more about that if I can, because again, people listening to this show, um, you know, a, a lot of people are listening, searching for answers, all that sort of stuff, you know, so because, you know, and, and I've said it many times, you know, I've been involved in 12 step stuff, you know, um, throughout my recovery as well. And it's been something that's helped me and, you know, stuff like that. So I think people are always like curious though about um, I didn't intend to go down this track with you, by the way, <laughs> but here we are talking about it. Um, you know, people are always curious about the different treatment and, uh, treatments or different ways in which you can get help. And that's what I'm trying to do with this show, right? Is just, you know, talk to all different types of people, people that have taken psychedelics, people that have like found Jesus, people that have, Whatever it is, right? Just understand and just flesh it out a little bit more because I don't know if you agree. Like everything, it's getting better, but everything just kind of is a bit like secret about the addiction treatment recovery yeah. space, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah. without going on a bit of a rant, the twelve step anonymous thing, the philosophy of Philosophy behind that when I learned about it because I used to always think like why the fuck wouldn't they be telling everyone about this if it yeah. helps so many people, um, but the philosophy behind it just so that everyone knows is because it's actually quite smart they keep it anonymous so that it can't be um, kind of hijacked by personalities. So for instance, if you had like a high-profile figure um let's just say for instance i agree with what he's doing going and talking about recovery but say for instance russell brand if then he was to then go and use drugs again (laughs) and be all over the tabloids fucked up on drugs and then it would kind of give a bad name to like you know the 12-step program or whatever so that's the reason why that anonymous thing is there to try and take it out of the public face at all costs and just solely make it about people recovering um but then one of the things or the consequences of that is that yeah there's not a lot of people it's getting better these days but there's not a lot of people talking about their experiences with the 12-step program and what they went through and stuff so you know i'd be interested to hear like if you feel comfortable like talking about yeah like what you actually do there, how it works, like how it actually helps you, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. Do you do you get converted to God there? Like that's what a lot of people <laughs> want to know.
1: <laughs> well, that's um, that's a funny thing because um, I think that's what turns a lot of people off. to fellowships is that word God,
0: uh-huh.
1: uh, and for me, it's just just that. It's just the word. It um, has different means for different people. But I actually was um, turned off by it as well. I um, mm. wasn't turned off by. It, I just wondered. And I went on two years research of what is God. I wanted to find out what is this thing called God. Yeah. Um, I studied three different major religions. And in that process, I found that no one actually knows what God is anyhow. <laughs> uh, everyone has a theory, a philosophy, or an understanding of what a God may mean to them, no matter what religious sect you belong to.
2: Mm.
1: But in my research, um, I, in, I was working at uh, an Aboriginal rehab, an Indigenous mm-hmm. rehab. I was talking to one of the elders there and I asked him what would be his version of or interpretation of a higher power, of God type of thing. And he said something so profound, it was really good. I share this a lot with other people. As, uh, mm. He said, If there's nothing greater than mankind, then show me a human being that can make dirt.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> wow, it's so true. Something had to create everything. Yeah. So, and I don't need to know what it is because way beyond my comprehension what that is, I just have to understand that there is something out there, and wherever that be, that actually can make dirt.
0: So you so you did go through a journey of questioning, and you may not have fit into any religious kind of sect, if you like, or maybe you do, I don't know, but through talking to people, you have sort of got, uh, you know, I can say that, like a mystical interpretation of it or or our understanding
1: Um, well i class myself as a spiritualist by by faith yeah um which is open to interpretation because there's no doctrine no dogma which suits my you know Uh my open-mindedness very well because it leaves me open-minded yeah Uh, but everyone is different and i've got no beef with anyone taking any religious path or no religious path at all but for me personally how it works for me is and i'm pretty sure every human being has this i have an inner voice that tells Mm. me the truth you know, like I might be thinking of picking up a drug or something like that, whatever, I'm going through a tough time. But if I listen to my inner soul or I don't know what you call it, your inner voice, whatever you I know that I really don't want to do that mm. under mm. any circumstance, so I don't want to go back to that life. And mm. when I listen to that voice, it tells me the truth mm. where my lie will manipulate me and cheat and you know, do all that sort of stuff. And my mind is not normal. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm. for me, that's how it works for me. And, um, that comes from a spiritual place of understanding. Like I, I I use the word God freely because it's just a simple word to use, but it has no, for me, has no religious undertone with it. It's just a word. I might as well call um, <clears throat> God a can of Coke. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's just a word. Yeah. It's, it's actually Pepsi, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, God is just a word on something that no one really knows. Yeah. And no one really knows what God is. So it's just a word we've attributed to something whether it be mm-hmm. Allah, God, Brahma, um, Buddha, they're all just words.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So
1: how has that
0: actually help, helped you in your recovery? Like, because mm-hmm. I think that's the question that people have, you know, and it's and it's interesting, like uh, I'm interviewing you. I, I kind of don't want to rant about it too much, but, you know, something that I learned with all this stuff and I think it's something that holds 12 Steps um, fellowships back a little bit as well, well, here in Australia at least anyway, is that, you know, the program was developed, I don't know if you know the year, but fucking ages ago, <laughs> to put it 1952, I think it was. 1952, yeah. So it was a different time and a different era. People spoke differently, you know, um, religious... Um, sex christianity was a lot more intertwined in the culture um i suppose so a lot and and the text and the program hasn't been changed you know since that time of that writing and it's also
2: yeah yeah, and it's also
0: it's also like a cultural thing as well you know i realized when i went over to america um even in new york you know where where People say, like, compared to the rest of America, it's probably not as, like, religious, right? They're like, it's like a cultural thing over there. Like, they have a lot different understanding of God and it's, it's a lot more kind of spoken about openly and it's a lot more intertwined within their culture, which is where the narcotics are not, or, you know, the 12-step stuff comes from. Yeah. So it's all of that. And I think what happens to a lot of people, and it's good for people to understand is that, because that's what happened to me as well, is that you hear the different language and you almost have to learn a bit of a different language and it's in this kind of old school terms a little bit and it can kind of be a bit of a block for some people, I think, you know.
1: Yeah, I, um, I was speaking to my um, my mentor sponsor, we to call him, and I'll talk to him about that exact thing. Like, does does God, the word God, drive people out of the rooms? And, yeah, it may do that um, or even the spiritual part of his program. But like he said, the pain and the misery will drive them back in when they're ready, you know. <laughs> Um, so I suppose that's a good way to look at it um, the only thing I would say to people out there is go there with an open mind you know um, and be willing to learn something new like I actually didn't believe the program would work for me I truly did not believe that mm. um, because I, I figured and I remember sharing this in my really early days because I've been using drugs for so long I tried so many different drugs and I believed it was beyond any sort of real help Yeah, I thought I'd just pushed the boundaries way too much mm. But what I did is I just followed direction from these people who seem to have a better life than I've got. You know? They've been clean for multiple years. Yeah. And I simply took direction uh, and listened to that and was open-minded to whatever they said because I simply didn't want to use again.
2: You
1: mm. Mm. Uh, and to be honest, I didn't expect to get what I've got today. Mm. I just wanted to stop using and be comfortable with that. Yeah, That's not want, really to want to die. I just didn't want to die. and I did, Not so much I didn't want to die. I mean, I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to live the way I was living. Hmm. I was so sick of... Anyone anyone out there who's using will know for well what I mean. I was sick of the crap that I had to go to get on. And when I get on, I'm, I'm not really as happy as I should have been as I thought I would be. Yep. And I have to go and do it again and hmm. again and again. And put off all, these, all the stuff that goes on around drug addiction is... I just want to stop all that as well. It's not just a drug use... It's all the crap that goes with it.
2: Mm.
1: Mm. You know, drug, being a drug aide, being an inactive addiction, is not not a lifestyle you want to live. Mm. You know, I don't think anyone really wants to live that way, really, if they're really honest with themselves. One hundred percent. You
0: know. So so sorry, I kind of hijacked it there with my little explanation, but yeah, like how uh, it's it's really interesting, like how. So, you got that spiritual concept as you've gone through over the years. How does that actually help you? You know, you, you kind of talked about an inner knowing. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's the exact word I use. I, I call it the knowing um, mm-hmm. when I speak to other people who are on the verge of relapse, but they know the truth. I said, mm. You know, as well as I do, that you don't want to do that. Mm. You know, and it's just that internal, and it grows over time. You know, it's something you have to really practice. I have had to practice a lot of that internal voice and making that internal voice louder than the voice in my head, so to speak. That's an analogy I can use. Um, and it's about being honest to myself.
2: Mm.
1: You know, if I feel like using a drug, the honest truth is I know that I, I, I can't just stop it a little bit. I know that i prove that many, many times to myself. Uh, and knowing where it leads me. Like, I know where if I pick up a drug, I won't be able to stop. I'll go back down the rabbit hole yet again. Mm. And I'll lose everything I've got today. You know, I'll yep. lose my job, I'll lose my son, I'll isolate and be alone. away will any friends, and the friends I do have aren't real friends, anyhow. And I know this to be true.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it may not be someone else's truth, but for me, that's my story. And you know, I know it's always going to be that way. So, having that knowing, I've got a choice. I now am able to have a choice whether to pick up a drug, knowing full well what's going to happen, or deciding to do something different and listen to my internal voice. And, and I really have to rely on my friends and my support base as well. Mm-hmm. I've got a really good support base. None of my friends use drugs today. Um, they're all in the 12 step fellowship. So I just simply talk to them and I meditate. Meditation has been a really big part of my recovery, like a yeah. huge part of my recovery. Yeah. Um, and when I first came into recovery, I didn't know how to meditate properly. So I had to learn through guided meditation. But now I can actually meditate with my eyes open. I've, I've gotten a very heavy study with that. And I'm now trying, uh, Russell Brand put me under is the. Um, Kundalini massage, yeah, Um, meditation. So I'm starting to practice that now too. so Yeah, nice. By the way, he's one of my favourite people.
0: (laughs) Awesome. No, and that's the that's the thing, right? Like, again, that's why we want to talk about this stuff, and you know, because I've spoken to other people, and they just all the things that you're talking about, they don't vibe with it, and that's okay. And they go and do something else, and it does help them. And then you know, there's lots of people that we've spoken to as well that do do similar stuff to you. And, you know, that, that works for them as well. It, it sounds like, um, you know, cause I really want to sort of try in this, in this little interview that we're doing here, demystify just through your experience a little bit, like some of this 12 step stuff, because it is such an unknown, like, yeah. so like what, cause you mentioned before, like all your friends uh, in 12 steps now and, and, you know, all that stuff. So it sounds like you really immersed yourself in it. Like like, how does someone get involved in it? Do they just go to one of the meetings or like how do they actually get into it? Yeah. and What do you do and all that sort of stuff?
1: Well, there's a couple of ways you can get into it. I mean, just go to meet it, you and type in, you know, where the meetings are. You can pretty much walking off the street. Mm. But I think a lot of people come through the rehabs or detox units, especially rehab. Yeah. Um, a few different uh, 12-step rehabs out there now that introduce it in as part of their rehab facility um, stuff that they do. Uh-huh. Uh, word of mouth can also happen. You know, you might have a friend who's going to these meetings and you see them change, see them become better mm-hmm. people and think, well, how did you do that? So word of mouth can also happen. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually, where I work, I don't actually talk about 12-step program. Uh-huh. I talk about preventive way to do things. Uh, but if someone comes up to me, ask, I've done a, a presentation, I do presentations. If someone comes up to me, after and say, well, how'd you do that? Then I'll mention how I did it. Mm. Um, mm. you know, and I, I personally, I wish the anonymity would go away. Yeah, um, and I'm very open about my story. I'm very willing to tell my story. Mm. Um, but I understand why the anonymity is there, but it is a bit of a blocker for people trying to get recovery. Yeah. Um, but I always lead up to you know, like eventually someone will find out their own path. And I don't think twelve-step fellowships are for everybody. Mm. You know, mm. I'm, I'm not one of those people who say, "Oh, you have to do a twelve-step program to get clean and stay clean." No, I don't agree. Mm. I think everyone has a different way of doing it. Um, for me personally, it's the only way it's worked for me. Yeah, so that's why I continue to do what I'm doing today. Because if I keep doing the same thing every day, or really the same thing, and I've got something that works for me, it's the old story. You know, if it's not broken, don't fix it.
2: Mm.
1: So mm. this is working for me. It's worked for nearly nine years. So I'm going to continue to do it because it works. And I've seen many people who walk away from recovery and they go out and use and wreck their lives again. Yeah. You know, and I realize that I have the same disease. I do recognize it as a disease. And I have the same disease as you do, Jack, mm. you know, as every person who's in addiction. And it's not just drug addiction I've seen it in. I've seen it in all forms of addiction.
0: I don't you know, think I have it, by the way.
1: <laughs> oh,
2: okay. Fair enough.
0: no it's okay but no it's it's interesting because when like because that's the stuff for me exactly what you're saying that's what and mine's by the way johnny mine's a bit of a semantic thing it's just without going into it people on the podcast have heard it a million freaking times but i still a lot of the fundamental stuff that i learned about myself when I first entered into recovery, I still kind of believe. It's just when you kind of get into the weeds of it all and you look at it, I just, for me, I just like, I don't feel like it is, Um, but there's definitely, I think there's definitely some genetic thing. But regardless, um, just even listening to you talk, that's what was the big factor for me. That's what kind of sparked it for me at the start was listening to people like you talk about it and I went, holy fuck, like, that's me, you know? I, yeah. I think and feel like that, you know?
1: I think it's, um. I remember this analogy. Um, I love you, using analogy because it really makes a lot of sense when I use an analogy. It sort of drives over. There's two people being arrested for drink driving and they're in a drunk tank. Yeah. And one's an addict and one's not an addict. One's a normal thinking person, thinks normally and rationally. And the person who thinks actually thinks, oh, I want to do that for, you know, I know I shouldn't drink so much, I'm stupid. And the person who's in an addict says, oh, damn, why don't I take the back streets?
2: Mm, mm.
1: And I notice that the thought process, when I say that to people who have addiction problems, they really get that analogy. Mm. Because when you're an addict, that's probably what you would think. If you are a drunk, you ah, think, oh, you know, why don't take the back streets? But someone mm. with, with no addiction problems, just drinking them casually, would think, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. And I think that's a good analogy for the difference of our way of thinking,
2: yeah. Yeah, 100%. I, I don't
1: know, I don't know, I don't know whether, like I said earlier, I don't know whether I've got a disease or not. Mm. You know, I don't even try and contemplate that because all I know is what's working for me now and treating it as a disease is actually working for me.
0: Mm. 100%. I was watching this guy the other day, he's Australian. Um, I used to follow some of his stuff ages ago. His name's people are. People would have heard of him. He's everywhere like on Facebook and whatever. His name's like Kerwin Ray. Um, and it's funny, right? Like, because I always say the same thing to people when I've done interviews on people have interviewed me on their podcasts and they're kind of like in that self-help sort of space, you know? Um, anyway, and I was listening to this guy, Kerwin Ray, and, you know, he was sort of talking about it. At one stage, he had an addiction and he did the few years in like 12-step fellowships and stuff like that and he he says that like it's some of the best personal development still to this day that he's ever done you know what i mean and and it's and it's funny right like when i hear people talking about anything that they want to change in their life like weight issues um, better business getting a job or a career or changing more healthy relationships whatever it is right <laughs> It's actually like exactly this a lot of the same processes that people go through to get there as, you know, we do going through 12-step programs and getting into recovery. Yeah. You know, even if you don't go through a 12-step program, a lot of the stuff that you will do in rehabilitation programs are close to what you would do in 12 steps. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think um, I know one place that... um actually adapted the 12 steps in their own format. Mm-hmm. So they've changed the wording and all that, but they still use, like you said, the basic concept of a 12 step where you look at yourself and you change from within. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think you can do that even through a spiritual, through a spiritual learning centers, all that sort of stuff like yeah. doing a lot of, uh, and I know a lot of people do yoga and meditation and that can also help. Yeah. Like I said, I don't believe 12 steps is for everyone. Um, it is for me. It works for me.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but I'm also aware that, look, I don't really care how anyone gets clean and stays clean, really. I don't really, it's none of my business. Yeah. What I love though is watching the development of people. Um, through 12 step program, I've seen many people come from the darkest place in their life to live a beautiful life and become really glowing. And I love watching that process. So that's, it's pretty one cool of the reason isn't why it? I stick around as well. Like, I don't know what I look I know what I felt like in my early days, mm. but I was a pretty messed up sort of unit. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I reckon my sponsor says it's so amazing to see the change. And that's why I've seen other people today. Yeah, you know, It's really good to see people change their their way of life. So, and,
0: and what's a sponsor? So, so, how do people go? Like you mentioned before, a lot of people get introduced through like rehab or whatever, but say if you're just rolling up off the street, like what's a sponsor? How do you get involved? Because it is a real, like for everyone listening, it was, again, I said this a million times, it was the thing that helped me to really turn... The ship around and start the whole process same as johnny um and it is fundamentally whichever way you slice it it's a fact they're the biggest recovery support group on the face of the earth yeah. um, and i recommend that everyone goes and, and gives it a crack um, so how do people roll up and get involved
1: uh, uh, we just turn up um like i said we went through how you can get involved And what a sponsor is, is someone who's actually done the 12 steps, who's living the way of the 12 steps. And I must point that out. A lot of people think a sponsor can be someone who's just done the 12 steps. Uh Uh, For me personally, they have to be living the 12 steps and have changed their their life and their way of thinking as well and their spirituality. Um, Because I know plenty of people who can talk the talk, so to
2: speak.
1: Yeah. and, And what I look for is when I've got a I didn't actually want to get a sponsor when I first came into the fellowship, because uh, yeah. I thought I knew everything. You know, I was one of yeah. those noble people. I've been around long enough, 33 years, I've seen a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone did mention that it is a 12 step program and I need a sponsor to do the 12 steps. So what I look for is someone who had all their faculties together, mostly the faculty together, and they were living a beautiful, calm life. Something totally foreign to me, basically. And I found that this guy helped take me through twelve steps and helped me change my ways.
2: Yeah,
1: um, and it's just a—it's it's a one-on-one relationship that you form with one another person. So, mm-hmm. and you, you build up trust with that person. Eventually, like everyone wants to get things off their chest, you know. It's sort of like if you're if you're religious, you might go to confession, mm-hmm. and you, mm-hmm. and you trust your preacher to, you know, to hear your confession. It's very much the same type of thing in a way, but mm-hmm. it's not a religious thing, of course. It's, and I built a rapport with this guy where I would tell him. And he knows my deepest, darkest secrets. Mm. You know, and when mm. he knows that, I can then be free of those. And it shows me how to be free of all that stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. It's an amazing process. It's very hard to explain to people just on a podcast what that feels like. Um, mm. I think it's probably something you need to experience for yourself.
2: Mm.
1: But I, like you, I always say to people, like, even if you don't believe in how it works for you, it's not for you. Go with an open mind and take a look at it, because you never know. It may be the one thing that changes your life
0: that's right that's right so um like i think it's interesting you said at the start like you had a bit of a breakdown recently um do you mind talking about that is that
1: no no, that's fine okay
0: cool because i think this is interesting as well you know just for people to get their mind around it you know we're not saying that everybody's gonna have a mental breakdown (laughs) not saying that but definitely people fall into this trap, right. Of thinking that when you get into recovery, that like, everything is just all, all rosy after that, you know, I definitely did. I definitely thought that because I was in recovery, like I needed a kind of a gold medal that the world was just going to open up for (laughs) me, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and it just doesn't. And life still happens as life happens, you know, and I think um it's a really interesting message because as you said you've had so much amazing stuff happen for you after 33 years of like a harrowing addiction and like when johnny talks about it you know i hope you don't mind me saying like i imagine that stereotypical thing like on the movie basketballs diaries you know like full-on kind of crazy Um, shit yeah it was
1: pretty pretty full-on yeah (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> um to just like a normal citizen like a human being like that's just living that you'd walk past in the street I have no idea like yeah. so that's unbelievable right um and you talked about all the good stuff that happens but yeah like what what happened with the mental breakdown because some of this stuff can happen to people like with shit that's from the past like yeah you've had a big life and a big story yeah
1: um what happened is just uh in the last two months it's been about a you know, about a month since I've been out of the thing. Um, yep. But about two months ago, I had um, a friend who a friend died. Wow. Uh, she was young. She had a heart attack and she was only 25. And she's one of my best friend's friends. Um, and then three days later, one of my best friends died. And then Shit. two days later, my sister died. And on the same day, my stepmother died. Um, so in a sense, in five days, I had four deaths. Happen. Fuck. Um, Close ones. Them. Yeah. Three of them were close. The, the friend of a friend wasn't that close. I, I'd met this person a few times. Um, but my, one of my best friends, my sister and my stepmom definitely were three close ones. And they have me in a period of two days. Mm. Um, and I was coping with that okay, um, if, you, if you understand that. I had a massive support base around me. And uh, I was in mourning and I was, you know, going through the normal process like any person would do. And then Daniel Andrews decided to have a five-day lockdown. And, um, Snap lockdown. A snap lockdown that just that just blew me away, you know?
0: and that's interesting. I I didn't know because that I I remember when that happened, and just obviously the line of work that you know I'm in, you're in. There was a lot of people that were struggling, so that was yeah. what it was for you that broke the straw that, that, that broke just, the camel's yeah, back. Yeah,
1: and I just I just wanted to commit suicide. I, I couldn't live like that anymore. And I, I had suicidal thoughts and idolations. I had using thoughts naturally um, with that much pressure on me with what was going on. And and I look back now. And I mean. Yeah, a drug would have probably solved my problem for that media time of being. Mm. But right now, I probably wouldn't be talking to you. Yeah, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be living the life I've got now if I hadn't picked up a drug. But I had. A, I, I, I have a really good support base around me. And But even with my good support base around me, I knew that I was in trouble. I haven't, like I said, the knowing that mm. I couldn't keep going the way I was going. I was going to end up committing suicide or using either one of those two options I didn't like.
0: So do you think it was just like an overload of kind Overloaded of emotions. grief and yeah. and all that stuff, and and you just didn't have the outlet to really process it at that uh, moment?
1: No. So I picked up the phone, I rang my doctor, who rang the cat team, and I was admitted to a psych ward. Yeah. Um, for six days, and then I went out to a so, uh, a place where for mental health people where they just um, let you unwind. I suppose to say for two weeks I spent there. Mm-hmm. Uh, did a lot of group stuff. Um, I went back back to my spiritual being, I went back into the program and started using the program again. Mm-hmm. Um, and today um, I'm a little bit different to where I used to be. I found that um, I feel relatively normal, but I just, I'm more reserved with people. Mm. You know, mm. I've sort of taken a step back from society a bit. Um, I'm on medication as well, which probably could be a part of that. And I'm not really a big fan of medication, to be honest. Mm. Um, I never have been, but I'm also aware that at this stage of my life and what I'm going through is probably the best thing for me at this moment for a short period anyhow
0: well thanks for talking about it and i'm glad you're fucking okay you know like I, it's i've seen stuff like that happen and i think it's a testament to you that you were able to pick up the phone and
2: yeah
0: make the call and all that sort of stuff like how does it feel you know because i know a lot of people go through that thing of like You know, you're in recovery. You've turned your life around. You probably have a lot of people in your life that are that you mentor. You know, that look up to you. Yeah. Um. Like, did you have any of that go on where you were like, "Fuck, I shouldn't be feeling like this, or this shouldn't be happening. I have to be stronger, Um, or anything." Yeah, yeah,
1: I did. I felt, and that's just mainly ego and pride, you know, Mm. kicking in. Um. And even even nowadays, I feel like, uh, how do I put this? I should have been stronger, like I should have been able to cope. Yeah. You know, but I, I realized that I was spoken to a lot of people about it. At the end of the day, I'm a human being like everyone else, mm. you know, um, and I do only have a certain threshold of mental torment I can deal with and uh, pain and suffering. Uh, and everyone said to me, one of the most courageous things I did was pick up the phone and ask for help. And I said, and my response to that was, that's what I talk to people about. Mm. You know, I ask people to ring me when they need to. But mm. if I'm not practicing what I'm preaching, then how, what, what does that make me, you know?
2: So, yeah. Uh, yep. I think that's
1: to do with, as much as it was hard. And it was hard to do, to make mm. that phone call and say, look, I'm, I'm in really, really bad. And I was in a really bad way. And to ask for help has always not been the easiest thing for me to do. But It's a weird years, thing that
0: humans have, isn't it? I have that as well. Like I struggle yeah. to ask for help too. It's funny. But
1: My, <laughs> my sponsor explained to me really, really well, uh, especially from one member to another member, when you pick up the phone, you ring someone, ask for help. You're actually doing the other person. They're in to the the favor. Mm. You're allowing them their responsibility to realize that they can be worth while you've been to help somebody else. Mm. So that's the way I try and look at it now. When I ask for help, I'm actually helping the other person as well. Mm. It makes them feel more. Because everyone wants to be of help, be of service to someone else. Realistically, you want to feel good about yourself mm. by doing some sort of service. So, and that's how I do it. And, um, and it works, you know. Normally, when I ask for help and I get some help, it, it works both ways. So I normally get the help I need, and the person feels better about themselves mm-hmm. being able to help me today.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting, fantastic, mate. Um, it's it's really good insights that you get that you give, and um, as I said, I appreciate you talking about it because it is like it is a weird thing, and it's hard to talk about the challenges that are going on, even though it's kind of a positive learned behavior that you do get from recovery that when you talk about your shit, things get better in your life. But then the, I've found for me the kind of the better I get and you know, yeah, my ego gets involved cause I do helping for a profession, you know, you start yeah. to like get this weird fucking thing that nothing can be wrong with you. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. it's, it's great. It's great to hear you kind of just talk about it. So frankly, um, so what's like what's the path for you like moving moving forward you know like because dual diag, like would you consider what you're going through a bit of like a dual diagnosis sort of thing or yeah. do you think it's like a snap one-off event or have you discovered that there's probably some underlying mental health that you haven't uh,
2: dealt well, with I mean,
1: I, I'm, I'm yet to see a counselor i'm still waiting for them to to you know get me on board and there's a lot of stuff they need to do but i, I think it's um There's probably some little underlying stuff, but mostly it's a snap thing that happened. Um, Mm. You know, like I mean, I I don't think there's many people around um, that would go through four deaths in five days and wouldn't have some sort of emotional reaction to it. You know, so to me, that's quite a normal thing that I went through. Mm. Um, It's just for me. I told people about this all the time. For anyone who doesn't have a substance abuse problem, um, they can probably go out and get plastered. Yeah. You know yeah. and, and, and deal with it through alcohol or through a drug of some kind or whatever, and then bounce back from that when they feel better. Mm. Um, but for me to pick up drugs, I know what happens to me, I just don't stop, you know. So, yeah. it was, it was. So, I think it was just that moment of time. Um, I'm getting better now, like I said, uh, the emotions will come back fairly good. Um, so I think it was just a, <clears throat> excuse me, a snap thing because most of the time. I'm fairly well balanced with my spirituality. Um, most of my emotions are in check today. Mm. Um, so I don't think it's, I mean, oh, how do I put this? I'm not a big fan of um, of psychology.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I do believe a lot of my things that um, happen in my human existence, which is going to happen anyhow, most people have to be challenged, I think,
2: mm.
1: can be dealt through with a spiritual aspect to it.
2: Mm.
1: Mm. Now, if I live a spiritual life, then, Things like anger and all that sort of thing are dissipated to a greater degree. Things like even mourning can be dissipated to a certain degree.
0: Interesting. Interesting.
1: I I prefer to use a spiritual solution rather than a medical solution. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, So, yeah, I I like it. And I I would tend to, I would tend to agree, you know, like it's um, definitely think there's huge value in sharing and coming up with new ways of thinking about things, new perspective, getting new thought patterns and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, and like you said, you know, the the medication side of things and that it's there and, and it's needed, but only in short periods and, in and, short and period, yeah. extreme extreme situations like you just went through.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't, to be honest, I wasn't really happy um, that I went on medication. Um mm. I've spoken to many people about it and it's probably for the better. Um, oh, 100%. And, and, until I balance out. Like I've got a three to six month plan uh, and then by the end of the sixth month, I will be off the medication mm. and I'll just go back to dealing with life and life's terms through a spiritual means. Yeah. Because um, I've got a very strong spiritual understanding, which I've built mm. up over many, many years.
0: No, 100%. No, I couldn't imagine dealing with that, like the four deaths in five days because... I think I said on one of the other shows when we were going through it, definitely spoke to my wife about it. Um, Fuck. Like in that lockdown, I thought I was like the long one. I thought I was okay, you know, for the first bit. And then it was just really weird. Like I think I started to kind of slip off on my routines and patterns because things were just harder, you know, you just, Get into the routine of rolling out of bed, looking at the screen, rolling back into bed, you know what I mean? And not, yeah. and not, and just fucking being in the one spot, not being out like it was weird. And, and I did, I, I, you know, I'm someone probably, I don't know if you're the same, but I definitely kind of whether it's from drugs or before that or whatever, I definitely have some sort of like chemical imbalance going yeah. and it's fine. I don't take any medication. I live with it, but um when things like that happened the lockdown fuck it just had a massive of you know I was there was yeah. i went through about a five or six day patch where i just struggled i couldn't get out of bed fucking wasn't doing anything felt yeah. really flat and shit and then i like it was a real slog to like get back into my routine and exercises and pumping in vitamins and all this different shit that helps me um and, yeah, it was it was funny, you know, and and I was reflecting in that time, like, about clients that we have in connection-based living and all that stuff, and I thought, fuck, this would be so hard if you had some shit going on.
1: <laughs> wow. Well, um, in, that, in that big, serious lockdown, like, the many months we went through lockdown, hmm. I actually went to the fact where I actually arranged to pick up drugs. Wow.
0: Well. Wow. It
1: wasn't. And the only way only thing I think he stopped was pretty much like an only class was divine intervention that stopped me from doing that. There you so go. Very much like you said, I was living in a um, in a house, a shared house with two people that aren't in recovery. They're both Chinese but they don't speak English. So I was very mm. much isolated. Mm.
2: Um,
1: and I, I get the thing of just rolling in and out of bed and watching TV. That's all I was doing. Yep. Uh, and then uh, I haven't slept very well in my whole recovery, except now I'm medicated, I sleep better. But um, all of a sudden, my mind went to a dark place, and I thought, if I just get some drugs, I can get a good night's sleep for once.
2: Mm,
1: mm. And I played around with that, and I actually rang up my dealer, uh, not my dealer, but a, a friend of mine from the old days, mm-hmm. and I arranged to be up drugs. I manipulated him. You know, he is one of the guys who said he wouldn't give me drugs ever again. So I lied, manipulated him. I didn't tell anybody about what was going on, and I actually planned to pick it up the next day. Wow. Um, I was glad the curfew was on because otherwise it would have picked up right there and then on the spot, but it yeah. was after eight o'clock when I made the phone call. Yeah. So I was under curfew. Um, but then I went and had a shower and I don't know about how it works for other people, but for me, I get clarity of thinking mm. um, when I'm when I have a sh- when I'm around water, basically when I'm swimming something. I get a real clarity of thinking. Yeah. And uh, my clarity of thinking came back and my sensibility came back and I looked at I thought, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. I was, I was only half a day off my relapse. And, mm. and it would have been severe, mm. you know, because um, I know what happens when I start using drugs, I just don't stop. I, I've proven that to myself so many times, not funny. Yeah. That I can't be a manager. I can't do social, I can't do social using, I can't do just a bit here and there. Mm. I just go flat out into it. and uh, Yeah, and that was like, you know, I was over eight years clean at that stage. Wow. And, uh, that's the closest I've been to using my entire life, in my recovery. Wow, That's definitely the closest I've been. Because I actually raised to pick up the drugs.
0: Yeah. Wow. And it just shows the impact that that period just had on people. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's,
1: it's it's one of the, I know a lot of people, I know two people who died during that period, personal mm. people. I know multitude of people who relapsed, you know. Mm. And then we've got things like, and, and I work for a company where, we deal with post-COVID stuff as well. Uh, we deal with mental health as well as AOD and domestic violence in the home. And the impact has been phenomenal. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, People are saying, oh, you know, it's really good. We had this lockdown, we slowed the thing down. And that can be their perspective, I agree with that. But the detrimental health effect it's had on so many people, I personally don't think the lockdown was justified because of the impact it's had on people. I agree with the lockdown to a degree, Mm. But the extended lockdown I think has just been so hard on so and it's gonna be an ongoing effect for many years mm.
0: yeah, look the second and third consequences, if you could call it like that, right um just yeah, just definitely saw that as well, just impacted so many people um yeah like and and I guess it's something you know that's the thing that I realized not not to be too fucking doom and gloom here yeah, no. <laughs> but. You know, I, I really acknowledge that, that, you know, there is kind of two, two, two classes really, two classes of people, you know, and unfortunately there's a lot of issues that some people, um, you know, live with and a lot of that stuff with the lockdown, you know, that's what made me reflect on it is that I struggled you know, to to operate and do things, as I was saying before, and, and really like fucking everything that I could need and want a house and car and money in the bank and food and access to medical support and connections with family, you know, everything's 100% great and I was struggling and then, it, you know, I just think about so many people that just don't have that, um, yeah, that right. just would have just really struggled in that time, you know.
1: Yeah, no, it was a pretty tough time for everyone, I think. I'm glad we're over and
0: done with it now for hopefully forever. Me too, me too. I'm enjoying I enjoy going back to the footy.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that
0: was good. That was good. So um very cliche, right? Um, but just to kind of end a little bit on, you know, again, and I appreciate you coming on and telling your story and, and talking about all this stuff. Not to sort of pigeonhole you, but I think it is a unique thing about you, Johnny, you know, that you did have Thirty-three years of real heavy fucking use, and 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 you know, you was it forty-seven? Did you say when you got clean? I came
1: into recovery at forty-seven.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like, it's it's kind of probably older than the majority of people I would say that <laughs> oh, come in. in the room, yeah. 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 So um, like, what do you say to people that uh, that might be listening out there that are you know in their forties or and and are just thinking, oh, yeah. fuck, it's too late. Just anyone, but, you know, particularly those people.
1: Well, I feel that, and I've met a number of people around my age who come into recovery, and they do think like that because that's what I thought. Mm. I thought I'm too far gone. I'm too messed up. Mm. You know, and that's how I think. I, when I see people who come into fellowship and into the rooms and stuff like that, and they are in that age group, I, do, I actually approach them straight away. And I can really relate to that sort of mentality, like, you know, I'm too messed up. I've been doing it for too long. I don't know if I can ever change my ways. But I've also found that when you're at that age of 40 plus years and, you, and you've and you been using for a minimum of 25, 30 years, something like that, you're probably more, uh, what's best benefit? this, more able to get recovery than someone who's only been using for three or four years who's is 22 years old. Mm. You know, you've mm. probably got more chance of recovery the longer you've used than someone who's just used for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because by the time you've used for 25 plus years, you really are done. Yeah. You know? You really don't want to use anymore. You're done with your life. Your life has probably been pretty fucking shit anyhow by doing drugs for that long. <laughs> and you know there's a way out. You, you know you're a better person than what you actually have been in the past. Mm. So you've probably got more chance of recovery than someone who's 22, 23 years of age. You've probably got a much better chance if you're willing to put things on the line a bit. Mm-hmm. And what they said to me, they said, um, you know, just give, every, give it everything you've got and you'll get a life back. You'll get your life back. And I'd look at my life, I didn't have a life, I had an existence. I survived. I didn't live, I just survived. Mm. I did not know what it was like to live. Now Mm. I do.
2: Mm. So I think
1: the older you are, the better chance of recovery if you're willing to put stuff on the line, if you're willing to just go with the flow and do what other people. And I I love love it when I see older people in the room because I really identify really heavily with those sort of people. Mm -hmm. So I know the pain and the misery and the suffering they've gone through. I know how hard it is to walk in that room and say, look, I need help.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: It's pretty daunting.
0: I love that, mate. I love that. Um, Hey, thanks so much for coming on again. um, It actually inspires me a lot to hear your story like i just i really do i think 30 33 years of addiction i know we didn't really kind of go heaps into the different things that you experienced in your life because i like talking about the recovery stuff and all that but yeah just knowing your story and how long and the the hurt you know it's uh it's amazing um to kind of see you doing what you're doing and and you know living a fulfilling and meaningful life it's it's cool man it's Thank cool
1: no thanks i love the
0: way i live today fantastic okay boom that was another episode of real drug talk hope you enjoyed it um as always if anyone out there needs help for themselves or a loved one you can reach out to us by heading over to www.connectionbasedliving.com.au that's www.connectionbasedliving.com.au The details for that will be in the notes um, of the show. Um, Stay safe, people, and we'll be vibing in your ears again on Sunday. Peace.